take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Welcome to Field Preachers Podcast. I'm your host, Beth S. Dock. I'm a leadership coach of New Faith Community Startups, and today I'm excited to welcome to our show, Matt Johnson. I actually met Matt about 10 years ago when um, I started coaching him, um, like many, many kind of generations ago of how we have developed in these past 10 years. Um, He was at that time starting um, or experimenting with missional faith communities and was navigating the vicissitudes of the institutional church that had a hard time understanding the changing landscape of a post-Christendom culture. Um, Since then, he's moved to Morgantown, West Virginia. He is a pastor at Suncrest United Methodist Church, and he continues to experiment with new ways of engaging with people and building beloved community. So I'm so excited uh, to welcome you today, Matt. And I also want to say, I don't know if I ever told you this, but it really was out of my relationship with you that my heart broke for uh, uh, church planters. And I began talking with Paul Nixon about writing this book as a love song to church planters um, to help them, actually to help the system understand that we were in a different time. And that church happened to be, uh, that book happened to be Weird Church, Welcome to the 21st Century. So I want to thank you right now for the gift of your uh, friendship and how you helped me understand that that book needed to be written. Welcome, Matt. Thanks, Beth. It's great to it's great to see you again, and great to have a, a few minutes to chat with you, and and uh, always continue to, to to think about the the new ways that God's leading us, and the new ways that God's directing us, and finding those new opportunities to be part of the work that God's doing to redeem and restore all things. So it's good to mm-hmm. good to see you. So Matt, tell us about yourself and how you ended up starting Abundant Life Recovery Housing Network. Yeah, so Abundant Life Recovery Housing Network is an organization that um, offers recovery housing and support services for folks who are in long-term recovery. So uh, we started, opened our doors to to new residents on the 1st of March, 2021, and about a year before that, put in time to um, develop the organization and and lay the, the framework and foundation for that organization. As you mentioned, I live in Morgantown, West Virginia. West Virginia is... Um, kind of the epicenter of the opioid crisis and the opioid epidemic that has um, hit our country. And so we have lots of folks in our communities and our neighborhoods that are trying to put their lives back together after um, long-term opioid use. And I think it's the church's responsibility to be there where people need to experience healing and wholeness. So a couple of years ago, uh, our church at Suncrest decided to do some intentional work around recovery. I didn't intend to do it, to be completely honest with you. It was one of those things that happened in an employment transition. So one day I walked into the senior pastor's office and he said, as you know, I'm moving. And so this recovery work is yours now. Good luck. And that was kind of my, in, in my introduction to it. But when I started to do it, I found that I loved the work. I found that um, there was something really holy and sacred about being with folks 
that were pursuing recovery. I, I think that recovery work um, is is deeply tied to the gospel. I think it's the epitome of discipleship as people find ways to set aside their old self and um, dive deeply into something new. So I started running a recovery ministry at the church and through that met folks who were living in sober living. And they came to me and said, Matt, we need faith-based sober living in our community. And when they said that, something deep, something struck the, the entrepreneur, the starter in me. And I said, I think you're right. And so um, began to navigate the waters of how we could start something new and what that could look like to provide housing and connection and community for folks that are looking for it. So what does that ministry look like right now? So we have four houses. Um, we, one of the things we, you know, we know as United Methodists is that we are property rich. So there's lots of churches that have parsonages sitting around that they may not be using. They may not uh, have to put a pastor in them. They may be available because they're on a charge and houses are great opportunities to, to, uh, to house somebody. And so we've rented a parsonage from a local church and we've rented some, um, other properties from landlords that, that want to work with us. And so we have four houses uh, that house um, men and then a house that house, houses women. Uh, and we house about 30 people. And so we have 30 folks who, have, who live in our houses and we expect them to live with us for 12 to 18 months. So this is a long-term process for people to kind of get engaged in that transformational work. Um, while they're there, we provide all kinds of support. So one of those things we did right on the front was I went to local businesses in the community and said, we're starting this. When people come in, they're going to need a job. Will you hire people in recovery? So when folks move into our house, we can immediately refer them to job opportunities and help them get connected to job opportunities that will pay more than minimum wage. We want to connect them to a, a, a community and a culture that's going to provide support and accountability and encouragement. And so connect them to, to local churches, connecting them to the local recovery community and developing a culture that welcomes um, conversation, but also provides appropriate accountability and support. So in our houses, we have meetings, we do step work together. Um, a lot of it really, a lot of the transformation, a lot of the work really happens in the relationships that develop. So we've been doing that since March and have just seen tremendous fruit. Um, the fruitfulness has been just, it, it multiplies. So when we first started this, it was like a manna movement. Anytime we needed something, it showed up in front of my office door. And there were days when I didn't even know to ask for it, and it showed up in front of my office door. It was this consistent opportunity of how God provides. We we saw people make um, professions of faith or come back to faith after a long time. And that's a powerful thing, particularly in recovery work, because there's so much stigma around folks who have uh, substance use disorder. And um, you know, they're seen as people that nobody wants around. They're seen as people that nobody would um, be interested in. And so to overcome that stigma and to say, hey, you're, you're, you're loved deeply, completely, fully loved by God. There's nothing you can do about it um, is a powerful thing. And so to see people get baptized and, and decide that um, God can do for them what they can't do for themselves is a, is a transformational moment. And that's what we do. We, we provide those relationships and connections and housing and help people walk that journey. You know, I, I think it's fascinating, Matt, that um, what I'm hearing underneath all this is that uh, that beginning dream that you had about missional community and intentional community yeah. and how this is manifesting in such a beautiful contextual way. And so when I think about mar 
marrying those two things together using the 12-step model. Um, uh, normally in those kind of communities, there's an abbot or an abbess. There's some, mm -hmm. there's some sort of mentor or somebody that listens for the promptings of the spirit in community. So how, how does that work? Yeah, so um, we, have, we have folks who we have trained that live in each house that are house managers. Uh, they're folks that are committed to their own long-term recovery, and so they've got a couple years of recovery under their belt. And so they learn to listen to, our, uh, to, our, uh, to other folks. Um, I, I spend a lot of time in those houses just kind of being in touch with folks. Uh, my wife spends time going into the houses and listening, but it's this process of, um, of really just um, creating space for the work that needs to happen. Um, I, I spend a lot of time investing in the folks that I think are going to be leaders, and we're always looking for the next round of leaders. And so we just kind of um, really engage in, in those relationships and really engage in that, in that, um, that work, particularly around the 12 steps. I, I think you're right. This is so as I, as I started to work on this, I kept saying all the things that, I, that have been part of my journey up till now are pointing towards this way. You know, there's, there's those guardrails that I feel like get closer and closer and closer until you finally say, this is, this is what I was meant to do. And it took me a lot of time to figure that out. But, you know, there's nothing wasted in God's economy, which is wonderful, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, we try and, and create that space. We try and understand that each person is... Um, each person is the expert in their own recovery. And so I'm not the expert in anybody's journey. Um, I try to allow people to, to, uh, to, to tap into their own motivation, into the own work of the spirit and be aware of what it is that God's kind of prompting and leading them to do. So. Um, I'm aware that in some ministries like this, um, it's called wraparound where you bring in a social worker, you bring in folks that can kind of teach um, about finances or, uh, you know, how to re-engage with family and mm -hmm. all of that. Do you, do you provide that kind of? Yeah, absolutely. So, I, you know, what I tell people is I don't know, I don't know a lot, but I know people. And mm -hmm. so I use my network to tap into people that I know. And so we do, we've got, we've got, we work with a lot of local organizations and community members and things like that to teach everything from financial management to, um, helping people get connected to further educational opportunities, to budgeting, to cooking, how to cook and, you know, feed yourself. So we, we do provide these wraparound services for folks. So we do a lot of community connections. Uh, I've tried to use my network to connect with folks in the community who have expertise in areas that I don't. So we, we have a, an, an organization that helps us do financial management and planning and budgeting. We work with a, an organization that helps with education. If people want to pursue further, further education, we've got a relationship with an organization in the community that does um, family therapy and helps rebuild families. We just got to celebrate with a lady uh, a couple weeks ago who saw her son for the first time in five years and met her grandkids for the first time ever. You know, like what a, what an amazing thing, what a powerful experience to see families being rebuilt and people's lives being put back together. So we, we try and provide all that. We, we help people learn how to cook on a budget, right? So how to cook and, and, and take care of their property and develop relationships. And so we, we, we try and offer all those life skills and, and model those and show those and help people connect with, with ways to, to find those. Some of that's in-house, some of that we do 
through other community connections, but it's a lot about networking and getting people connected. So tell us a little bit about how this ministry is funded. Yeah. Um, funding is, is one of those challenges uh, mm-hmm. just for anything, right? So um, we actually think it's important for people to pay program fees um, because learning to pay your bills is one of those important life skills that folks need and maybe haven't had. But we also understand that lots of times people are working for uh, lower wages because of um, lower educational experiences or finding a job that will hire someone with a background. Most people have a background uh, that will, you know, criminal background of some sort. Uh, so we try and keep our program fees low. And then we find funding through a variety of other sources. Um, we find grant funding. We find um, donors that catch a vision for what we could be about. Um, we are really excited about a new opportunity that we're just getting off the ground. Uh, we received a grant to open a greenhouse. And so we'll be opening a, a greenhouse business. We'll be taking over an existing greenhouse, opening a greenhouse and teaching our residents um, how to grow things, which is really good. It's a good skill and it's really good to help kind of reconnect your brain, your brain and your mm-hmm. body. And we're starting a, uh, a salad kit CSA. So people can buy greens and fresh salad and microgreens from us all, all season. And we think that's going to be a, a financial driver for us moving forward in the future. Um, Suncrest, who's my employer, has been really supportive. They, uh, they gave me the time in my schedule to start to do this and continued to pay me, even though that took me away from um, some traditional church responsibilities. But they saw this as a really valid and viable um, opportunity in, for, for ministry. So we find lots of ways to kind of parcel and piece things together. You know, sometimes people will sponsor a bed for a month. And so people can move in and not feel the immediate pressure to have to start paying their rent and lots of ways that we try and put all those pieces together. Did you form a 501c3 nonprofit so that you could get grant money? We did. So we are a, we are a a 501c3. Uh, We're waiting for the IRS to finally approve our application. The IRS is way behind on that right now. Um, So we are a a separate 501c3 from the church for a couple of reasons. One is so we could get the uh, some, some, you know, additional grant money. Um, there's lots of money available for this kind of work if you know where to find it. Um, one is to, to kind of create a, a liability, a legal liability kind of wall between us and the church, which is something that was important to the church. But um, yeah, we have our own, our own board and our own organizational structure. Okay, thanks. I'm glad we got like focused on the nuts and bolts because now I want to take us in a different direction. Okay. Um, I know that you are a, an entrepreneur. And um, I just want you to track for us so people understand how long it's taken for this ministry to be nurtured, to come to a kind of really beautiful blossoming as Mm. it is right now. Um, How many years did that take for the church to develop relationship and rapport and to really discern the movement of the spirit for this new expression? So I have been at Suncrest seven and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've, I've been here a long time. And so I think it took time for the church to um, get to know me and for me to get to know them mm-hmm. and for me to get to know the community. Th- this would not be possible without deep community connections. Uh, and so the time that I've spent 
here at Suncrest um, has been really important for us to get here. So that whole time wasn't focused on recovery ministry, but it's been growing those relationships and connections with people in the congregation and also with the community. Um, we really started to put this together in terms of beginning to talk about recovery housing um, probably two years ago. Uh, and so that's been, again, part of the process was starting to kind of envision that and see what that could look like and talk to the right people and, you know, find those, find those connections um, and find those kind of pathways forward. So nothing happens quickly, right? The, the relationships, the connections, the, the work of the spirit that kind of unfolds, it, it, takes, it takes a long time. The folks that I started to do this ministry with are folks who are in long-term recovery, and they were really excited about it. Um, and they were really anxious for us to go. And they kept saying to me, can't, can't we just find a house? Can't we just find this? And I said, we got to find the right house. You know, it's all about finding the right house and the right space and finding the place that is going to create the, the atmosphere, both physically and um, the spiritual atmosphere and the culture that we want for our residents. And, and sometimes you can't rush that. Um, so we looked and we looked and we looked. But, you know, it's it's taken some time to get to get where we needed to be in terms of building the relationships and, and um, developing the connections in the community, both in the church and in the community that allowed for that to unfold for sure. Mm-hmm. So what are the capacities for you as a leader for you to be able to do this kind of ministry and start this beautiful expression? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that... Um, I think that one of the capacities that that is necessary um, is this willingness um, to look beyond the easy solutions to kind of the core roots of the problem uh, and and a willingness to pay attention to the community to say, what are the things that we're facing? Um, This wasn't my idea. So this wasn't some vision that God granted to me and said, go do this. This was people in the community who came to me and said, this is something that we need. Um, this is something that's, that's, that's there. And, you know, you've got the opportunity in that moment to either listen to people or to do your own thing. Uh, so the, the, the willingness to listen to someone else, the willingness to understand that there's a, a deeper need, and sometimes we don't always see it, but other people do, um, that's been really important. That's been a really important piece. Um, part of what's been necessary for me is the ability to walk this fine line between um, compassion and caring for people and also protecting the culture and community that we're trying to build. Because, mm. uh, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, we haven't, we're not 100% successful for a lot of reasons. Um, sometimes people just aren't ready to, to, uh, to do the work of recovery yet. Um, sometimes it's just really hard. Man, the folks who are um, dealing with substance abuse disorder and and um, fighting against that—that's it's really hard work, and relapse is part of that part of that process. So, how do we extend grace and care and love to folks who struggle, while also protecting the kind of integrity of the community and the other people that live there? And that's a really fine line. I mean, the nuance there is really, really, um, really difficult. Um, there are some recovery entities that do what we do that if someone has a, has a misstep, they're, they're out the first time. And we just, I don't do that. It's not the way that we operate. Um, because I don't think that that's the way that grace works, but we all, we also don't want to enable and, and, and kind of 
cause other people to, to experience harm or, or triggers or, and so, man, the, the dance there kind of in and out of, um, how we handle that is, is really, it's really challenging. Um, and it requires a lot of, um, listening and a lot of praying and a lot of uh, connecting and a lot of just, um, helping people when nobody else would sometimes, um, I had an interesting experience, I'll just, I'll put this out there. I had an interesting experience with a, a community, uh, one of our co- kind of community advocates, a guy that works in our community with, with homelessness. And he was kind of helping connect some residents. And he said, I, I have a lot of respect for you because you guys take people that nobody else will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, and, and you believe in the best, you believe the best in people when nobody else will. And for me, that's part of what it means to be faith-based, right? We, we believe that everybody's sacred. Everybody carries, um, that divine, that divine image of God in them. And so we'll believe the best about people, even when others won't. And, uh, you know, that means that sometimes it's hard, but it also means that sometimes it can be really beautiful. I love how you brought up, um, you know, that grace doesn't work that way. You know, uh, grace provides that, um, part of the, the holy agitation is learning through the failure mm-hmm. and the missteps. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you, um, what, what are you learning through uh, your failure or missteps right now? Yeah. So um, failure is something I think about a lot. It's something that, that I have personally experienced. And it's something that, um, you know, I've, I've experienced a lot of um, in my life. I'm doing church work, right? I've yeah. started a church. And ironically, I started a church that met in a bar. And now I run an organization that tries to keep people out of them. So you never... <laughs> You're never quite sure how God's going to work. Um, but, but I think failure can be, uh, can be a, a, a great teacher when we are able to see failure, not as the way it defines us, but as something that we experience and something that happens to us. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, to say, well, I'm a failure is very different than to say, I have experienced failure. I've done things that have, that have made me kind of experience that way, but it doesn't define the nature of who I am. Uh, and I'm really, really grateful that I have experienced that in my life because now I sit with folks who often feel like they are a failure. They've let down family and friends and people and coaches and over and over and over again. Um, and to say to them, you're not a failure. It's something you've experienced, something you struggled with, but it doesn't have to be the, the thing that defines you um, is a really powerful thing. So that's one of those things that I, that I think about a lot. And I'm really grateful for um, that past failure that I've experienced in my life. Um, I think that, you know, what failure teaches you now is, is always ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to always look at a situation. If someone ends up leaving our house sooner than we had hoped, or if someone has a, has a, you know, if someone has a relapse, we try and look at the situation and say, what could we have done differently? Um, what's our part in it? what part do we not have to own? Right. And that's the, I mean, that's the beauty of, of the fourth step, really. Uh, the fourth step says, you know, that we, we, we make a, an unflinching moral inventory. We take an unflinching moral inventory and uh, begin to really process through our life. And part of that unflinching moral inventory is saying, what's my part? What's not my part. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a great process for anybody to do, right? What part of this do I need to own? And what part of this do I need to let go? What part of this can I hold and uh, take responsibility for? And what part of this can I ask God to, to uh, free me from? It's a really powerful experience. 
Um, I uh, note saw on your recent um, email that you have this phrase transformation happens. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just curious. I'm sure that you've thought a lot, not only of failure, but of transformation. And can you tell us what wisdom you are discerning right now about how transformation happens? Transformation happens always in community. I mean, that's always the way it works. Um, so I can tell you story after story right now of people who, is, who have had transformative experiences because of community. I'll give you one example. A gentleman moved into our house early in March. And, uh, you know, I wasn't sure if he was going to make it. And um, he called me pretty shortly into the journey, probably March, April, May. And he said to me, I, I just got my stimulus check. I said, great. And he said, I need to tell you the truth. When I moved in, I had a stimulus check in my pocket. I had another one coming. I was just going to live here long enough to get my ID so I could cash my stimulus checks. And then I was leaving. He was like, and I, I intended to go get high. He said, I intended just to, to, to run. He said, but now that I have this check in my hand, got my ID, I also have people that care about me. And I've never had that before. Mm. And I can't run away from and so I don't know what to do. What he chose to do was to pay his rent for a couple months. He chose to pay this back child support. He chose to get a job. And he has nine months sober. And that's more than he's ever had in his adult life. The reason is because there were people that cared about him, that supported him, that genuinely loved him and demonstrated the love of a much higher power to him when nobody else had done that, right? That's, that's transformation, right? That's transformation. And it happens, it happens because there's a community that surrounds people to do that. So transformation at its best um, happens in community. Uh, transformation happens when we are open to what it is that, get, that God wants to teach us through other people. Mm. And so we talk to folks about that. In our, in our houses, we, 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 have, we run a, a a peer-led social model of recovery, which means we all need each other. And we need each other to hold each other accountable. We need each other to encourage each other. We need each other to, to support one another. Um, we can't do this on our own. And so that, that willingness to, to speak hard truths, that willingness to listen to one another when we don't want to, that willingness to, uh, to engage with one another, that willingness to be a vessel of God's love and compassion for someone else, is a really important thing. So that's one of those ways that transformation happens. It always happens best in community. It just reminds me of uh, our founder, John Wesley, and you know the bands and the classes mm -hmm. and that accountability model mm -hmm. and talking about what's important. Yeah, our folks meet every night at 9 p.m. Uh, we have a curfew, so people check in every night at 9 p.m. And when they gather at 9 p.m., they, uh, they share gratitude. So they share gratitude for their day and for each other, uh, we're trying to we're trying to teach them um, that uh, that contemplative kind of practice of being deeply connected to what happened today and what am I grateful for and what am I least grateful for, uh, and they uh, they read together um, and share kind of responses from what they read and they share goals for the, what they're going to do the next day, and that that check in is a really important piece of the of the of the model and and man there's a lot of accountability in that right there's a lot of accountability in that for us it's less about rules did you break the rules 
and more about are you willing to be a part of the culture and the spirit that we're trying to create, uh, that cares for one another, that listens to one another, uh, and that supports one another in what we do. Uh, how are you growing particularly in your own spirituality and leadership as you come alongside this ministry? So um, I am, I, I really honestly feel like the 12 steps are as close to inspired as anything else that I've ever seen. Uh, and so the 12 steps and my, my ability to, to learn those and internalize those and internalize the spiritual practices around the 12 steps has been just so, so life-giving. Um, when processing through my own, my own failure and my own disappointments, my own hurts, my own grudges, my own resentments, man, the 12 steps have been a, a powerful tool. And so some days people say to people say, you know, people will say like, you know, Pastor Matt, you've, 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 uh, you've done something here that saved my life. And I'll say to them, but you, you've changed my life too. Uh, because I've learned so much from you and so much from kind of the way that you put these steps into, into play. And I'm, I'm so inspired by people who continue to live literally one day at a time. And what a, what a way to live that is, right? To, to release the worries and the anxieties and to release the control and to release the desire to be in charge of what happens next and to live this day and to be able to say this, this, this day is the day the Lord has made. I'll be grateful for this day, you know? So, I mean, that has just been a, a powerful thing. Um, I, I find myself on a regular basis. Um, my mantra has become the serenity prayer, which is one of those great recovery prayers. God grant me the serenity to, to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And, uh, you know, when things wake me up in the middle of the night and my anxieties creep up and my fear begins to, you know, show up, to have that mantra to hold to, it's just really life-giving. Um, but the second half of that prayer, in case you don't know it, there's, we, you know, we know those first three lines, right? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The second half um, says, um, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, mm -hmm. taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. And uh, to pray that whole prayer, you know, um, trusting hardships as the pathway to peace is, uh, those are those are some powerful words, and I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful that I get to live them and experience them and, and live alongside people who who live them and know what that looks like. Thank you so much, Matt, for sharing that wisdom with us. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience as the folks who are listening are people who might be feeling the nudge of the Holy Spirit to start something or in the middle of maybe starting something or um, revitalizing ministry? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that uh, to continue to believe that, that God is writing a really good story for us and for others. And to join that story is, is so important um, to continue to understand that we are powerless over many situations in life and admitting our powerlessness is the first step towards strength uh, and, and believing that, um, that God can do something even when we are facing difficulties that we couldn't imagine. Um, I, like I said, 
Beth, I'm, I'm grateful for the failures that have happened in my life because they brought me here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't know that at the time. I'm not sure I was grateful for them in the moment, <laughs> but um, the ways that you can look back and see what God has done over, you know, 10 years mm-hmm. and say, I didn't expect my life to look like this, but it's good. It's really good. Um, that's a good thing. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. Matt, if folks um, want to connect with you and find out more about this ministry, how would they do that? Yeah, we've got a we've got a website uh, where people can can uh, can find information about us. It's abundantlifehousing.org. Um, abundantlifehousing.org. Um, I'll I'll also give a, a shout out to an organization that has been incredibly helpful to me, and that's an organization called the Fletcher Group. Uh, and if you look them up at fletchergroup.org, it's an organization out of Kentucky that is uh, run by the former governor of Kentucky, Ernie Fletcher that offers recovery housing assistance and technical consulting to organizations that try to do what we're doing. And so they are a wealth of knowledge and support and encouragement. Um, and, and I would not be where I am without them. Uh, and so I'm really grateful for them. So if there are folks that want to think about specifically recovery work, um, check out the Fletcher group and find the, the abundance of resources and assistance that they can offer. But um, you can find us at AbundantLifeHousing.org. Matt, as we um, end this conversation, I'm also aware that addiction affects all of us mm-hmm. in, in a myriad of ways. It might be our own struggle with it. It could be family members struggle with it. And so as we leave today, can you offer all of us a blessing whose hearts might be breaking right now when they are in the midst of the struggle? Oh, I can. This is my uh, this is my favorite blessing to offer most folks. Um, it's it's literally just called the Franciscan blessing. It's a fourfold Franciscan blessing, and uh, I'll offer it for for those of us who need to hear it. Mm-hmm. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half truths, and superficial relationships, so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, addiction, starvation, and war so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain to joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Matt, for inspiring all of us today as you share the the beauty and the transformational power of what it is to be community together, holy community together. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks, Beth. Thanks for the opportunity to share. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Okay, Blake. Got it. Ooh, there we are. I'm dark again. All right. Well, perfect. Well, wonderful. Thanks so much, Matt. I'm sorry for the interruptions, Mike. I hope you okay. put you back on track. I'm sorry. No yeah. problem at all. Not a problem. It's, it is less than I have had, so um, it's, okay. it's easy to fix. I'll all pull right. it out in editing. So Great. And Matthew, I am so happy that you reached out to me. And if you know of other people that uh, that need to be interviewed on this podcast, please let me know. Thanks, Beth. 
Field Preachers Podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.